Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a conversation um, around uh, the role of uh, innovation and transformation in corporate South Africa, and we're talking to one of uh, South Africa's largest corporates, uh, that is uh, Telcom, and we are joined by uh, Dr. Uh, Maki Jankis, uh, who is uh, the Group Executive for Innovation and Transformation, and we are just going to be you know finding out you know i guess the rationale for even having um you know such a unit um, inside telcom uh, where it fits inside their strategy is it a talent thing is it a strategy thing is it staying ahead of the curve like what is really it, uh, what is it really about and uh we are joining we are joining her she is not joining us we are joining her um, at their head office um, uh, at telcom in centurion so you know really great uh, discussion that we are looking forward to uh, so doctor uh, greetings to you greetings mudiwa and thank you so much for having me what is your preferred title uh, are you Dr. Maki, Dr. Jankies? Are you Maki? Like, what's 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 the preference so that you know we can we can enter uh, protocol observed? I'm glad we're getting this out of the way. So the preferred <laughs> <laughs> the preferred title is Maki. Maki. Okay. No, no, no. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for, for being with us today. I'm glad that we, you know, finally got to do this. Uh, we've actually been planning to do this for a couple of months now. Uh, I met Maki a couple of months ago um, at the launch of uh, an innovation center over at uh, the University of Witz. And, um, you know, Telcom is one of the backers of that center. And uh, I believe on that day we did speak uh, briefly, but we said no. We need to have a proper um, sit down, you know, just to understand what's going on. So, usually we tend to ask our guests what is your organization, etc. But Telcom is a household name. So instead of that, uh, when we talk about innovation and transformation at Telcom, what are you looking after? Great. Thank you so much for that question, Mudiwa. Um, the management of Telcom decided in 2021 to establish an innovation and transformation function. We report directly to the group CEO and work with CEOs across the business and the leadership. Essentially, we have a mandate to cultivate the culture of innovation within telecom, but we're also quite external looking, thinking about the future of um, telecom and its sustainability. The office has, has three main functions, and the first that you alluded to is our research and development function. Essentially, the strategy there is to use our R&D partnerships to execute on some of the long-term projects, especially on our verticals that the business units um, and the strategy uh, dictates for us. So we recently established a telecom solutions lab in partnership with the University of Witzvatisrand. So it's full IP ownership of telecom, actually. Yeah. So it was the first of its kind. We, over um, a long discussion of legal experts, of procurement yeah. experts, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we came to the establishment of the um, telecom solutions lab, which is housed at Wits University. Um, incidentally, historically, Telcom has um, what is called the Telcom Centers of Excellence, which was started as an initiative to get industry working much more closely with universities to support R&D, particularly within the telecommunication sector. Yeah. 
So the learnings of those centers of excellence was quite important to us. We, we say, how do we reposition on our um, attaining our strategic objectives, especially on the new verticals, and leverage um, the labs and the expertise within universities. Mm-hmm. So with the VETS lab, essentially our executive for, for research, Dr. Molapo, leads that function. Um, staff members at Telcom work very closely with the university on key um, uh, uh, projects which we ideated long before the establishment of the lab. So the mandate and the objectives of the projects of the lab were well defined ahead of that and it allows um, experts from both institutions to to work on, on challenges that are critical to our strategy but also critical to the success of South Africa as well. Um, energy is one of the projects that we're working on. Um, AI is a very strong focus of ours So we have a couple of projects within the AI. You will know that historically we established an AI team within Telcom so long before generative AI discussions and chat GPT, <laughs> yeah, we were yeah. thinking about this as telecom. And so um, we've got several projects also in IoT space um, that we are embarking on. The second um, mandate of the office is um, investment in startups and SMMEs. And this is through our uh, Future Makers. So Future Makers was established in 2015. It is uh, essentially looking at how we diversify our supply chain, but strategically investing in in startups and SMMEs that can help us get leverage and verticals that we strongly want to focus on, giving um, value add also to our customers if you look at our consumer small, uh, our, our consumer business unit as well. Um, there's been quite a couple of, of um, startups that we've invested in uh, through Future Makers, which have gone on to do very well, which we, we're proud of the partnerships that we've been able able to engage on there. Um, So we have several initiatives that look at both enterprise development and supplier development um, and and essentially providing financial support as well as access to market in and beyond telecom. The third function is where we cultivate the culture of creativity and innovation within telecom. We are um, in the process right now of of launching a group-wide innovation challenge that allows all staff members to submit different innovation projects that we provide seed funding for those projects and then they get executed. Um, There is a product that we've recently launched, which was um, done um, in that manner, created by staff members, and we backed and supported in that manner. So essentially then the office is mandated to think about the long-term strategy of um, innovation within the organization and to cultivate that culture for the telecom group. It's an interesting one. And I say it's an interesting one because um, as someone who covers this sector, there's a, there are a lot of terms that get thrown around. So for example, because of uh, the fact that you have so many operators getting into financial services and a lot of banks trying to get into telcom, we say banks are trying to become like telcos and telcos are trying to be like banks. That's one. The other one is the fact that you we hear a lot nowadays that uh, your telecoms company is saying, we're, we're evolving to become a technology company, a tech co. Uh, that's one of the other terms that I keep hearing about. And as you're talking now, I just can't help but to draw parallels between some of the uh, rhetoric uh, that uh, I used to hear quite a bit, especially 
I'm going to call it the 2000s and early 2010s are from the likes of Google and Facebook, right? Uh, because everything that you just spoke about around innovation, etc., I, I literally could have been talking to an executive at, uh, at Google. We've created a space, a safe space for people to be able to create and ideate. You know, those are the words that people, you know, people use, um, you know, in those spaces. And I'm just wondering... I guess is it is is it I guess in that uh, what you call this in that manner and at the same time how much of it is internal versus external because I was just listening to you and a lot of it uh, sounds um, I guess external facing because you know you're investing in other businesses you've got partnerships with universities and all of that stuff how much of yeah that balance between the internal innovation versus what you're able to extract from, you know, external partnerships? That's a very fair point. Um, and, and it's a very good question on how does this uh, differ or how is this similar to um, ideation or innovation spaces that have been created um, by, by various companies? And we saw a boom of that quite a lot, um, especially in the early 2000s, you're right, um, and how this culture was then inculcated in many of those companies. The reality is that much of what we are executing has been a part of telecom. Um, it it was just not coordinated and centralized at the Group X co-level. So different business units have got functions that are already innovating. The capability of R&D has been a part of telecom for many years. Um, But the coordination of that in line with the business strategy was what we then elevated to the X co-level, to the Group CEO's level and office. And so essentially, we're building on to a capability that telecom has been having, actually, for many years. Uh, but we're ensuring um, executive sight of it. We're, ex- we're ensuring resources support of it. Um, <laughs> very important. Which, which is very important, especially. And, and I'll give you a very simple example. On um, Sometimes we, in the past, have had startup relationships that we could have doubled down on and leveraged on. I'll mention one. We were some of the earlier investors of Sweep South. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we were some of the seed really? investors of Sweep South. That is that's interesting yeah. because it's a company that I've covered quite a bit, and for some reason, there's certain names that always come up, the likes of Naspers, etc., in that story, but not Talco. Not yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we've made. Um, some very good investments in the past. Um, and the R&D labs, for example, that I've mentioned, um, I think we, we, as time went on, they veered a bit further away from the business, had less influence that was going into the business, but we sustained our investments in them. Um, yeah. I think we this year we'll be launching a report that just talks about the 13, it's called the Telecom Centers of Excellence that have been sustained over the year. 3,000 PhD, masters, and honors students came out of that. There's wow. been IP uh, products that have come out of that. There has been a lot of innovation that has come out of that, but it was very far away from the telecom core business. So the question then came, if we do have all these capabilities internal to the organization, in which office do we have accountability and sight of our long-term investments surrounding that? And that's why I say that it is, it's not necessarily a capability which is new to telecom. It is a capability that has been a part of telecom, uh, but in terms of visibility and at what level that the office then reported to, that is what has essentially then changed within our structure within the organization.
But there's something that you also then ask me, my mind. <laughs> Can you ask ask again, Mudiwa. That's the last part. No worries. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure it will come back because even I myself, you know, I've probably even forgotten, um, you know, part of part of uh, you know what I was asking earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you're having uh, what you call this when you're having conversations. Uh, but in that right, an organization like um, like Talcom. R&D is probably a big piece, um, you know, of what's core to the business already. Like what you were saying, some of these functions are already there because um, as a company, you need to be making sure that you're investing in the right things already. Um, and like I said, I engage with a lot of people in the sector. And my understanding is that, you know, companies like Telcom are constantly internally doing their own R&D. Um, externally, they're engaging with uh, analysts and, you know, industry bodies, consulting firms, you know, trying to understand where's the industry going, where are we, where should we be allocating our capital and all of that stuff. Um, where does that fit into that, you know, universe? Um, I guess it's a question around um, how much influence do some of these things actually have when it comes to shaping you know, Telcom's uh, strategy, you know, going forward, because I'm pretty sure that um, you're constant, you constantly have to grapple with, you know, where do we place our money next? Uh, this is very, very important. I think you, you mentioned something earlier where you said that this is um, very, our, our office is, is very externally facing for the organization. And essentially, yeah. we, are, we then bridge the gap between um, the external pace of innovation within the country and, and globally um, and how we then bridge it internally to the organization. A lot of what we also do is partnerships. So in areas where we uh, don't want to necessarily reinvent the wheels, um, whether it's with OEMs or key players that um, provide a certain service, which is critical to us as an organization, we then facilitate that partnership that happens with critical players external to the organization. So we take an outward, inward look to the organization, which is important because we broker that relationship, whether it's for SMMEs and startups, whether it is for consultants, whether it is um, for OEMs that are able to augment some of the work that we're doing internal within the organization. We are very big on partnerships um, to the success of, of the work that we do. Mm. Now, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting uh, position to be in. Uh, I I won't lie. Like I I would actually I think I would actually enjoy sitting and thinking about um, you know the future of the industry where things are going, um, and I guess the transformation piece you know of uh, your portfolio. Define that for me. It's the transformation is the business transformation. I know the word transformation in South Africa means different things to yes, different people. This is, <laughs> this is why I said we need to define so that we, we understand the rules of engagement. Yes. Well, the word transformation is important because we have an ESD function, which essentially also looks at the transformation of our supply chain. So we bring in smaller players within our supply chain and, and we give them an opportunity um, to be able to partner with us and, and transform our supply chain uh, but it's essentially transformation speaks about business transformation so whether it is from a cultural perspective um, how do we embed a culture um, that looks at openness of innovation within a close to 200 year organization yeah. 
Yes. So <laughs> the, the transformation piece is actually very critical for our success um, because culture will eat strategy for breakfast. What is the idiom that is used? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so the transformation element, the rules of engagement of the transformation element is also the mandate of how do we, from a cultural perspective and, and business transformation, um, think about innovation in that lens. Okay. Once again, very interesting space, and I'm sure that the types of challenges and problems that you are likely looking at and solving on a daily basis, um, you know, must be very interesting. How big is the team? We're a startup internal to telecom. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a a fairly uh, small team, but execution um, is in partnership with business units. Um, So the objective was essentially to build a capability that then works across the business. So when we execute, for example, there's an, an, an tech product that we were working on and much of the execution was also reliant on innovators with and the consumer team and equally with other businesses as well business units as well um, at BCX there's an AI product that we're working on um, we depend on the AI team that is based within uh, the BCX team so in terms of execution um, we then partner with the business unit to be able to execute on, on those capabilities. One of the things I'm very curious to understand, um, at least from a strategy and operations point of view, uh, because we are a financial publication, we always try to understand, I guess, the business rationale or how things are happening. And someone might be sitting and listening to this and saying, okay, cool, how do the budgets work for something like this, right? Um, Does innovation and transformation have a dedicated budget? Um, you know, at uh, at Telcom, or is it rather a way to, you know, as you put earlier on, be able to, I guess, direct the what you call this, uh, direct the investment that's being made across business units? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I hope the question I'm asking is making sense. It does. And and as I'm pondering, I'm like, to what extent does this trade secrets and to what extent we can divulge? <laughs> the Innovation and Transformation Office has got its own budget. So essentially, um, the independence of it was quite important because some of the innovation that comes uh, from our office is a bit removed from the core. So in areas where we have radical innovative products, um, we then have our budget that supports it. But equally, we do work very closely with the business units on some of the key areas that the business unit would then fund themselves and we would then support them on that. In actual fact, that's that's the model of our innovation challenge where a business unit actually funds it itself. But uh, we've got our own seed funding as an office um, that supports the, both uh, the operations and, and capital deployment of funds. All right. Makes a lot of sense, you know, when you when you put it like that. And I guess it's a little bit of a hybrid. Um, you know, you, you know, you have your own, but at the same time, you help to um, direct what other business units, uh, you know, are doing. I want to take a step back at this juncture. How does Maki find herself leading innovation and transformation at Telcom? Because like you said, this is something that's happened in 2021. I think that's what you said. So before this, it wasn't a thing. Um, so uh, I, I guess it's. I guess the question is twofold. Firstly, how does Maki find herself there? And at what stage does her finding herself there and Telcom deciding this is a thing? How do those things, you know, come together? 
Well, I think historically, I come from an innovation and an R&D space. And so uh, building digital products, especially at scale. So I'm a computer scientist by background. So building digital products at scale, um, which have an impact, especially in, in, in solving South Africans' critical challenges, is something that I've done for many years and I've been quite passionate about. And Telcom at that time was um, looking at consolidating the efforts um, within the business and the opportunity occurred. Uh, I did, I must admit, spent quite some time thinking carefully about, you know, (laughs) considering the fact that it is a well-established organization um, and you are essentially then asking us to establish a new startup inside a well-established organization and, and, and work also on the cultural perspective of it. And it was an exciting challenge for me. I think that's uh, for an innovator, they, we always looking out for challenges. And uh, I must admit that it's it's been great to work with a lot of people who also value innovation within the organization. And the success of our office um, could not have happened without telecom staff because we're a very small team, very, very small team. The success of the office could not have happened without the support of telecom staff um, looking to innovate as well because we then opened up the culture of innovation to every single staff member. And we've had staff members even volunteering their time out of their the scopes <laughs> of, of responsibilities coming to work with us. So essentially that's how I landed up here. Uh, but um, it's, it's definitely still in line with my, um, innovation and entrepreneurial experience and background. Were you already at Telcom or did they bring you in just for this? I was not. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I do not come from a traditional Telco background. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So so I've I've um, I've largely research and development background uh, coming out of an academic institution actually um, coming out of I had just been on a sabbatical we we were establishing an augmented and virtual reality uh, hub immersive technology at that time was really new to South Africa and I had just spent a year traveling the world to see what immersive technologies which are now dominating the space of um, meta companies such as meta so I had gone around the world to see um, what is immersive technologies, how are they being implemented, um, what is the metaverse, what is the impact of that, and, and the sort of technologies. And I had just put together an academic program that would train uh, people within that space, and, and and yeah, there would be a hub around that. So I'd come out of a sabbatical that was essentially looking at that at that time, and, and also some of using immersive technologies to also train in things such as mining safety, um, so yeah, spent spent some time doing a lot of travels around the world on on that. I'm really glad that you spent a lot of time doing this because now my inner geek can actually come out and ask a question here. We're about to go into the weeds a little bit. Metaverse uh, and whatever entry point you you put, you know, um, whether it's uh, you know Microsoft Microsoft's. Uh, goggles whether it's oculus from uh, from meta um hype or a norm in the future from what you can see look um there's a lot of investments uh, that have gone into the metaverse and that continue going into the metaverse and I think like any other technology at the beginning, there's a wariness on, you know, this is, is this just the hype? 
Uh, but I do think in the future we will have use cases which are um, which are practical. Um, and I say this because if we just had to look at the level of investments that going that are going on in terms of reducing access to devices that allow people to access the metaverse, that's actually the biggest challenge. If you look at um, Oculus, if you look at the Microsoft um, uh, augmented reality glasses, if you look at the Apple, Apple has just also released their own version. I was going to ask about that. I was coming to it. Yeah. <laughs> they are very much trying to get that cost down. Yeah. And the moment you get to a point, I mean, it's like cell phones. When we started, did we ever think that everybody would have um, cell phones in their hands to be able to make calls? It looked a bit unrealistic. Yeah. Um, and that's where we're going with the metaverse. Um, I think there's been a tremendous uh, progress within reduction of costs, especially on um, the virtual reality one. They're very immersive ones. Augmented reality, on the other hand, there's a lot of use cases at the moment, especially from a commercial sense. And we can see that deployment a lot abroad, um, whether it is for retail um, in order to enhance the retail experience, whether it is for entertainment, it's been used at scale quite a lot. Uh, but I think with time, with the reduction of the hardware um, costs and that then being able to be scaled to be used by users we will see more and more and, and you, for example you can see in the medical field where operations are being conducted um, without necessarily um, working on the, the human being but using uh, augmented reality to facilitate operations from another room we can already see large-scale use cases of that so I think there is future for the metaverse um, Right now, we're definitely in the in the era of AI and generative AI, with large corporates throwing in a lot of investments within that. Uh, but definitely, I d I do think there is a potential future for 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 the metaverse. My view is, I like the concept of the metaverse. I just don't know how accessible it will be. I guess that speaks to what you're talking about just now around the cost of actually getting in there because beyond the glasses, you need the computing, you need the, the you need the connectivity, you need all of these pieces that are already a bit of an impediment, you know, even just in the smartphone era. Um, I think Africa, I think GSMA said that Africa has smartphone penetration despite high mobile usage, smartphone penetration. I think they said 35, 40%. That was for South Africa. I read somewhere where they were talking about, you know, great that we're investing in 5G, but who's actually going to make use of this 5G if we don't have the devices? And, I, and once again, it speaks to the point that we are making. Um, completely agree about augmented reality. I think about everyday applications, like I think at Santon City, the Adidas shop uses augmented reality, uh, a, a, a version of augmented reality where you can try on an outfit by standing in front of their version of a mirror, you know, those types of things. I really like what Apple has dished, uh, what, what they've announced Practicalities, waiting to see well, how it actually works. But the, the mixed reality, I think it's heading down a way that, okay, cool. Someone can actually say, how do I use this stuff? Because that's always it's like, oh, great, we'll be in there. But like, how am I actually going to use this stuff? And I think so far, Apple, apart from the gaming aspect that the likes of Oculus have done well with, and even PlayStation, 
I think Apple has done well in presenting a use case to say, guys, we're not asking you to do too much. What you're already doing, you can just do it inside our glasses. Yeah, I think I think the the the, the conversation around metaverse um, corporates are having those discussions. We're having them internally as well. <laughs> you know, to say at, 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 at what scale can we actually commercialize some of the use cases that are coming out? But much like um, any technology area which is have, has a heavy dependency on a hardware which is inaccessible, and you've spoken to uh, telecommunication also as a, as a key and for that because you really need a low latency um, experience for 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 um, for you to be able to have a good experience on immersive technologies so you do have to have connectivity um, which is high speed connectivity that enable enables a seamless experience but but at some point immersive technologies were or, or, or the the metaverse was largely focused on on gamers you know the immersive technologies historically was heavily for gamers very expensive hardware related to that but over the years you can see how it has now presented different use cases which can be commercializable um, we will definitely see that with um, I mean if you look at Europe and uh, the the access to connectivity uh, and in some places um, lower cost to um, accessing that connectivity, you can already see the seamless experiences of how people will be using um, products such as the Apple um, headsets and many other products. People are already using them um, within that sense. But at some point, Africa was able to leapfrog onto using mobile phones to achieve so much uh, because we didn't have um, excessive or an abundance of computers within households. And we were able to um, leapfrog all the way to mobile phones and use them um, because they were accessible, because they were affordable. And we will definitely see that the prices of um, hardware that supports immersive technology is also driving down. We will definitely see um, the improving low latency connectivity. And we will then have use cases, not just at an enterprise level, but also at a consumer level that allows us to actually commercialize it. Timing is the issue. It may not be immediately now. And obviously when organizations are cash-strapped with innovation, you always have to be honest about, is this the innovation that we should be investing now in? And when you have competing um, innovations where you you have companies coming out with uh, clear uh, generative AI use cases that immediately can be commercialized, you can pretty much see where a lot of investment will be going in this um, couple of years right now. Now we wait to see how that particular space develops over time. It will be interesting. Um, you know, who knows, maybe the next time that you and I have such a discussion, it will be in the metaverse um, or, so <laughs> <laughs> or some, uh, what you call this, or some version of it. Uh, but, you know, maybe, you know, now that we've reached this point, we can address uh, the, the, the biggest, I don't know what word to use, hype term the biggest uh, craze which is obviously ai and generative ai right now is it necessary for a corporate to have an ai strategy in 2023 because it honestly feels right now like everyone and their cat is talking about ai almost every earnings call you know you you hear about 
Um, I think even uh, the one that uh, it just tickled me was a couple of weeks ago, I think KPMG globally announced you know, that they're going to be investing $2 billion into generative AI over the next five years. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's, an interesting, uh, that's an interesting step. Not to say they shouldn't be doing it, uh, but I guess it's one of those things, once again, hype versus you know, what should we be actually allocating our capital to. Yeah, look, I think I'll go back to the basics of technology always being an enabler in your strategy, Um, whether it's AI, whether it is the metaverse. Um, And I think we, if I look at telecom, we we always have been investing in AI from a talent perspective, um, from um, just our strategy as a business. And I, and I think uh, the, the discussions around AI at this point are actually not hype, uh, but it is the awakening by many companies to realize just on the capability of um, whether it is uh, supporting operations, whether it is um, improving customer experience, whether it is having uh, commercializable use cases that can actually benefit the corporate. Um, Lots and lots of uh, data now being used to ensure uh, personalized experiences of customers, better understanding our customers, um, but being able to actually use the data. I think let me start there, using the data to be able to effectively then um, have good AI experiences, I do think that organizations should be thinking carefully about how they invest in AI, but most importantly, why they would invest in AI. <laughs> I think um, yeah. that, that that is very critical, which takes me back to the technology being a critical and enabler, but it needs to definitely align with the business strategy on on the effectiveness on that. So that is a key area, even for us. Um, there's a there's a lot of products that we have been looking at um, that we will continue to invest in and support and invest in in, in some startups as well within the AI space. Uh, but it is not a craze. Um, it is uh, a reality of 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 our businesses um, and how we then leverage the data in ensuring that customer experiences are improved um, because your customers will get those experiences in companies that are leveraging AI. So your competitors are definitely investing within it. Um, so I definitely don't see it as a craze. Without encroaching too much on your trade secrets, um, are you able to share with us how Telcom is using AI or at least how the company is thinking around, you know, perhaps use cases? Yeah. Look, there's a public use case that we already have. Um, We have our AI team have partnered with a startup called Enlabler, which is a data labeling company. And we have a product out there which is called Easy, and it is a language translation product. So that's one example of how we are then um, leveraging AI. Uh, But the the different products that will be definitely coming out. So it's not just from a commercializing uh, perspective, but efficiency within the organization. I think that team is really working hard there. But in terms of um, personalizing customer experience, especially from the consumer end, we will be seeing more and more products that will be coming out from our side. Mm. All right. As we are rounding up uh, today's discussion, which has really been great, like I said, the inner the inner geek and nerd inside me is very happy right now. Uh, my, my spirit is fulfilled. Um, talent, right? Because 
innovation needs people that are either thinking on that level or people that can execute and implement, you know, on the ideas. Yeah, so talk to us about, you know, um, talent. Are you fighting for talent? Are you building talent uh, within? Uh, because you said, you know, your, your, your core team is small, uh, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, on a group level, um, the talent debate is there. Yeah, I think the talent aspect has, uh, if there's something that telecom has done very well is building a pipeline of talent. I'll talk about the data science team, which we have a partnership or partnerships with um, organizations that are deliberate about building that capability. We've had a very good pipeline of data scientists that have come out of the programs that ensure skills development within the area. Our centers of excellence have been a very good pipeline as well. So we have a lot of masters and PhD um, graduates that have come on to in within the group organization and our executive for research for example is one of the people who've been through our centers of excellence programs who now leads R&D function within the organization she hasn't worked for telecom before but she leads R&D function um, we've also just appointed another person within our office who who also has a PhD in computer science in, in, in the uh, telecoms area as well um, and she I think she's also been part of the COE uh, a program. Um, we are very deliberate uh, on finding innovative uh, talent that is um, entrepreneurial, and um, we've been very deliberate about putting together and scouting a team, uh, which is actually not traditionally from Telco, <laughs> coming from different backgrounds that form part of the team. But internal to telecom, there is incredible talent um, that has um, supported our work that we work quite closely with, um, which is quite innovative, uh, ranging from uh, computer scientists to people within the finance sector to uh, people with various backgrounds. But we have been very deliberate about creating that pipeline and relationships with universities and organizations dedicated to skills development um, in ensuring we have a sustained pipeline into the organization. So the future fit workforce, I think that's something that Telcom has done very well. Mm. And I think that helps us, you know, to get to a point where we can start, you know, now landing uh, today's discussion. And one of the things that um, in hearing you talking, I can imagine someone would say, okay, how do you measure success in this in this division right uh, because your mandate is so varied and you're looking after at the beginning you described for us those three different areas that you know you're involved in so how do you actually measure to say okay as innovation and transformation at telcom we have moved i don't know x amount uh, I don't know. Is it is it we've created new revenue lines? Is it the number of PhDs that have gone through our program? Is it the startups, the success? Like, how are you measuring success? I think in the long-term perspective, it is definitely new revenue streams um, because all the initiatives are geared towards the sustainability of the organization. And that is... Um, ultimately transcending into new revenue streams from the organization. Not always necessarily uh, close to the core, um, but definitely new pots of revenue streams that come into the organization. Definitely that's our long-term perspective. Okay. I like that because I, I guess it 
it brings us back to the fact that at the end of the day, Telcom isn't uh, what you call this. An NGO. It is not an NGO or a charity. 100%. This is a money-making organization. 100%. Um, you know, that needs to be making the money. So if at least everything is geared towards how do we create new revenue lines from innovation, uh, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. You are two years in. Uh, what are you looking at? What's in your crystal ball right now? Uh, and when I say crystal ball, I mean whether it's something that you're looking forward to or a challenge that you're anticipating in the moment that we're in where generative AI is a thing, the metaverse is a thing, you know, given the vast universe of things that you're looking at, either something that you're looking forward to or something that you think you're going to be challenged with. I think the exciting um, challenge, I think, internal for us and within outside lens scope is something very exciting that we're working on is the group-wide innovation challenge. And I think unearthing that innovation and democratizing the process of innovation in the organization is something that we are very excited about uh, because I think one team, one, one slogan our team always has is, you know, there's, there's no one sitting in the GCEO's office thinking up ideas. The ideas are actually sitting with the staff. The ideas are sitting with our partners. They're sitting with the startups. Um, and so we are definitely looking forward to lots of innovation that will be coming out and the challenge is to then challenge ourselves to execute on that uh, because that revenue stream um, that's uh, ultimately translating into shareholder value um, our ability to 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 serve customers to serve South Africa in, in the innovation that will come out of telecom will be critical to our sustainability as a business and holding to the core um, also our ESG values, um, which are important in, 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 in the innovations that come out within the business. Mm. I'm actually realizing, you know, as you're, as you're talking now that there's a, there's a key component stakeholder that I forgot to ask about earlier on because we spoke quite a bit how you guys are quite external facing with your partners and the uh, partners, companies that you invest in, etc. Where's the consumer in this, right? And the reason I ask is because when you think of some of the great innovators of this generation, the likes of the Steve Jobs, Apple's always had, not always, but at least in its current structure, a company like Apple has that attitude of um, show them what show them what they want, and they will they will take it on that type of thing. Even if you haven't asked for it, we didn't ask for headphone jacks to be removed <laughs> from iPhones, but now AirPods are the biggest. Uh, earphone company in the world type of thing right they created a problem they gave us a solution and the market took the solution you know to the hills and back so yeah it's just the question of where's the consumer this is is the consumer leading you know the efforts around innovation and transformation or do you sort of find what you want and then you say to the consumer hey here you go 
Look, that's a that's a very important question because it really defined how we ideate and in our sprints who we include in that. And the consumer has been critical for us at every stage um, of any product that we develop, bringing in consumers. And that's why the outward looking perspective, because we were very deliberate with the team to say that when we sit down to develop, it's not just telecom talking to telecom about what the consumer needs, but it is also consumer representatives throughout our innovation life cycle that ensures that we are reflective in terms of our products in meeting, whether it is at an enterprise level, whether it is at a consumer level, but we're meeting the consumer needs. We're meeting the South African needs. Uh, I always say to my team, Mudiwa, we are in Centurion in a well air-conditioned room. How in the world do we think on behalf of people in all facets of life of South Africa and able to achieve products that speak to them? We can't do that because our lived experiences cannot be anywhere close to everyday South Africans. So if you don't include them in, the, in our innovation life cycle, we end up then creating products that don't speak to the everyday South African. So we're very deliberate about that. And that is why we also create spaces and avenues that make us accessible as telecom to the consumer to be influential in how we shape products and experiences for them. All right, so that brings us to the end of what has been a really great discussion um, uh, with Maki around um, innovation and transformation over at Talcom. Um, really broad in terms of, you know, all the things that, uh, you know, that we covered, um, you know, all the different areas uh, that her team is looking after, and also just the place. And I think that's been, you know, the biggest uh, takeaway uh, from a conversation like this. I remember... Um, reading a few years ago that uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, who started Amazon, um, is said to spend you know up to forty percent of his time just thinking about the future. Where is Amazon going to be playing in a couple of years' time? And um, at least from today's conversation, it sounds like um, you know Talcom has tasked uh, Maki and her and her team. Um, you know, to be thinking about, you know, what does uh, the future look like uh, for a company like Talcom? Where does some of that future revenue come from? Um, when we talk about uh, declines in some of the legacy businesses, how do you augment, um, you know, those things, you know, down the line? What should you be thinking about? What should you be, be investing in? Who should you be investing in? And uh, what should you and who should you be investing with? Yeah, very interesting you know discussions um, you know from that point of view and also just understanding you know the fact that um, it is a space in which you can't just have one core team and they go forward it sort of has to be a group-wide effort uh, because at the end of the day you know these are the things that then determine what some of the future revenue lines are going to be um, I think we we hit that point you know quite well to say that um, we aren't doing this just because we like to think about the future uh, but there is a sustainability question that does need to be, um, you know, thought about to say, you know, what does, um, you know, a future, people have all these terms that they throw around, a future fit organization, you know, what does it, uh, you know, what does it look like? And I hope uh, that today uh, we've been able to unearth um, some of the thinking uh, that Talcom has just around how they are thinking around how they're going to be keeping themselves uh, future fit. We 
got into the weeds quite a bit around uh, the metaverse uh, and AI and it is interesting i think we we are we reached consensus that the use cases you know will come over time uh, but an accessibility question needs to be answered how do we uh, make the technology not only the devices but all the different components uh, that allow people to participate uh, in some of these technologies a lot more accessible you know so that um, you know we can be able uh, to actually take advantage of this technology revolution uh, that is uh, going on so that's been it we were in conversation uh, with dr maki jankies uh, who is a group executive Executive for Innovation and Transformation offer at Telcom. Maki, thank you so much for being with us today. Much a pleasure for me. Thank you so much, Mudiwa. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.